begin by noting that the dulcet tones of Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass meets it's time for another edition of Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli, host of Fangraphs Audio. The uh, careful listener will note that at Fangraphs.com, over the last two or three or four months, a number of new names, um, most likely with um, corresponding faces, have joined Team Fangraphs. Of course, one of the peculiar qualities of writing for the Internet uh, is that these people are just as strange to me as they are to you. And of course, by strange, I don't mean weird, although uh, that might be the case. Uh, but it just means that I don't know these folks. And so um, I think it makes sense uh, to take some time on Fangraphs Audio to get to know some of these new names uh, and their respective faces. Uh, one of those characters is Chris Swick. Yes, that's Chris C-W-I-K Swick, so he says. Uh, and he is the gentleman we have on the show today. Uh, in what follows, I discuss with Mr. Swick uh, a number of interesting topics. First, of course, among those is uh, how, he, in fact, he made it to Fangraphs.com, um, and we follow him to Fangraphs uh, from his posts at the community blog of Fangraphs, and before that, for a website called Foulpole to Foulpole. Mr. Swick has also done some other interesting things. For example, he uh, studied uh, broadcast technology uh, and media, uh, something of this sort, at Marquette University, after which time he worked for a little while as a scoreboard operator uh, in Miller Park for the Milwaukee Brewers. Mostly, however, uh, what follows serves merely as an opportunity, uh, both for myself and for you, a wide listenership to get to know Mr. Swick and have a better understanding of his perspective and the work that will be coming from him. So here, please enjoy uh, my interview with Mr. Chris Swick. That's right, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest today is a writer for Fangraphs, and uh, I suppose we could call we could call this episode, Who is Chris Swick? Uh, Chris Swick, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Now, and and we need to get this out of the way immediately. Your name, your last name is spelled C W I K, and you're pretending like it's pronounced Swick. That's what they tell me. Uh, it's, they? It's <laughs> Uh, you know, my my family, so I I have to take that with a grain of salt. But they tell me it's Polish, uh, which is only it has to be half true because it's way too short to be a Polish last name. Yeah, uh, looking at it, it seems like uh, maybe I don't know if it was at Ellis Island or just you know one of your relatives along the way that just removed a whole bunch of letters in the middle of the name. Exactly, we've seen Swicklinski. Yeah. So that's what we're thinking. Swicklinski. Swicklinski. That is yeah. A, oh yeah, I guess that would sort of uh, that would sort of take care of it. Well, anyway, uh, Chris Swick, uh, you know, if you want to pretend like that's your surname, um, you uh, well, I know a couple things about you. One is um, that you write for Fangraphs currently. Another is that uh, you were sort of one of the first and uh, relatively prolific contributors. Uh, to the community blog, which I think is how you uh, finally sort of made your way in, into into Fangraphs. Um, but I guess you know, let's start with the baseball writing. Uh, uh, why? Um, I mean, a couple things, I guess. First of all, why are you? Uh, why do you write for Fangraphs? Uh, <laughs> Besides the fact that Dave Cameron let you. Exactly. Um, it was. It kind of all started just looking for jobs once graduation was coming up, and figuring out that if I wanted to 
get into baseball writing, I would probably have to start up a website or a blog myself and and just do it and then send material to people when they were looking to hire. And so uh, I, I did that probably a year ago. I submitted for fan graphs, and that's when you guys opened the community blog. So then at that point, I was submitting articles, and I was fortunate enough to have them posted uh, on the on the blog, and then this next time around, I, I, I applied and talked to Mr. Cameron, and uh, apparently he, he liked what I had to say. Um, I didn't give him a hard time about the six org thing, so I think that, that helped me out during my interview. Right, yeah, that's definitely a way to get, uh, at least to avoid his bad side. And uh, Exactly. We'll say his bad side is much larger than his his good side, <laughs> considerably. No, it's it, and it's actually weird. Um, now I don't know. Uh, answer me true. Are you going to be uh, joining us or not in the uh, in Arizona? I will not be. Will uh, not I, w- be. I I would love to, and I'm maybe maybe we can Skype uh, video Skype something in over there. Nothing um, dirty. Yeah, I, I would do uh, I would do anything to be there, but unfortunately, I'm not gonna be able to make it. Yeah. Now, I will say that uh, one of the one of the I guess uh, what well, certainly one of the pleasures of going to Arizona last year was being able to spend time with those guys, and as is the case generally, getting to know the people behind the names you read. You know, and and I don't I don't know if listeners are aware of this or not, but you know, there's you know there's no sort of like FanGraph Central. Right. So, so you know when we, you know, last time when when you know, last time when we went to Arizona, when I went to Arizona, I was meeting these guys for the first time, and you know you do get a sense of them from their writing and what sort of choices they make, uh, but not entirely. For example, uh, Dave Allen, I was very surprised to learn, uh, was not he's not any manner of cyborg, at least that it was, <laughs> uh, you know, one could tell from the outside. Um, and so that you know that's sort of surprising, but that's that's kind of part. And, and Dave Cameron's part of that, you know, it's like he has uh, occasionally a sort of an acerbic uh, persona on the site. But uh, just a does he wear, does he wear his Felix Hernandez shirt like every day, or is that <laughs> he? Uh, you know, this is going to get on the site because we've already made two. I've already made two jokes at Dave Cameron's expense. You should stop that. But I will say he's uh, he has an entire full back tattoo. Uh, okay, okay. Of, uh, of Felix Hernandez's face. Of course. Yeah. Um, so okay. So now, now you started with the Felpol to Felpol. I guess. The, I mean, the question is, what? Uh, let's let's figure. Let's do a why we write for Quiz Swick to start off with. Uh, why do you write? I mean, what's your sort of history with writing and, and interacting with baseball and or other sports? You know, via via uh, you know a journalistic eye or anything like that. Yeah, I I got into um, I guess writing because I what I, I studied broadcast and electronic communications. That's the technical, I guess that's what's on my degree um, at Marquette, and I got involved with the television station there, the college station. So I was I was learning production aspects, but I was also going on air and doing sports shows because that's what I was into, and so. I, I wouldn't write, I would obviously wouldn't write long pieces for that, but I would write intros to stories and then obviously give analysis. And so it kind of just boiled over to this is something similar to what I've done before. Why not, you know, start up a site and start writing journalistic pieces as opposed to pieces prepared for on air stuff? 
Um, so, uh, so that's kind of how it started. Now, did you ever have a, a, a boom goes the dynamite scenario? Is that is that like the is that the greatest fear of the uh, the college sports <laughs> broadcaster? That is definitely the greatest fear. I uh, I've definitely had my moments. My phone went off one time when I was hosting a show. Terrible. Uh, that's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, and then I, and I'm sure that th- this can happen at some point, but if someone ever found the, the first time I was on, um, it, it was awful. I was very serious and I, it was just stone faced and the, the readers would have a, a good time with that if that video was ever uncovered. And is it on the internet, do we think? Uh, I doubt it. I, I know the person that probably owns it, but, uh, I'm very hesitant to give out his name, so Seems no like one's going to find that video for a while. Yeah, and uh, I, frankly, um, this sort of effort, it seems like it would require, isn't worth it to me personally. But to anyone who is interested, it appears that there's some video of Chris Wick out there that would be embarrassing. So uh, if you're listening and you're so inclined, and I think and you intend, uh, you attend Marquette University. It might even be easier at that point. Is that right? Yeah, that that would be a problem for me. If we have Marquette listeners, I'm oh, in trouble. Oh, I'm sure we have droves of them. Now, <laughs> did you study, uh, so not study, but uh, when you were covering sports there, what were you covering? Uh, mainly men's basketball. I mean, that, well, and women's basketball. We actually, um, working for, once again, for the television station, we were able to broadcast a lot of the women's basketball and volleyball games. Um, but I mainly, I would say I mainly covered the men's team. We didn't get to do any, we didn't get to actually film any of their games. Um, but I attended press conferences and some interacted with the players somewhat. Um, we were there when Tom Crean left for Indiana, and that was kind of the, the biggest thing that happened um, when I was at Marquette. And so that was kind of a crazy day for us, just trying to produce content for the shows that we were going to do and then also trying to gather exactly what happened. Because it, it, it was an overnight thing. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but he... He pretty much left for Indiana overnight without letting anyone know. That doesn't seem very nice. No, I, he's he's not my favorite uh, coach anymore. Put it that way. So, so your job. So, this is sort of what we're talking about as a, a sort of reporting type of situation, sort of like a real sort of orthodox journalism. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and you talked about interacting with with athletes a little bit. I mean, obviously, well, I, I don't know if it's obvious, but. Um, I don't think people would be shocked to realize that a lot of the guys who write for Fangraphs, um, you know, while I think are are good writers and um, are certainly committed to to watching and understanding sports, probably have less uh, interaction with athletes. Um, but now you've had some, and uh, I'm curious. I mean, uh, if, I'm you know maybe Marquette men's basketball is different, or maybe you have some other experiences off of which you uh, you could draw. But I mean, do you, from what you know, I guess even limited exposure. Do, I mean, is there something to be gained from that? From working with athletes, yeah. or um, somewhat. I mean, you get you get a sense for what type of person you're dealing with. I mean, you hear a lot of stories about certain guys, and any anything negative that happens, you're going to hear, you know, reported. Um, so it's nice to to see what these guys are like when a camera's not in their face, even though. You know, that, that's what we were there to do. Um, but honestly, a lot of the guys just want to be treated normally. I mean, they're, they're sick of having to answer questions every day and having, you know, cameras and microphones shoved in their face and having everything analyzed. So, 
I, it's not like I had many personal relationships. I mean, I wasn't going out and going out for a night on the town with the any of these players. Exactly. Um, but you get a sense for what type of person they are and, you know, if, if they're a team leader, I mean, that even if it could be, you know, the, the worst guy on the team, but you see the impact he has in the clubhouse and, um, in the locker room and, and you get a sense for, you see the value in that, I, I guess would be the best way to put it. Right. Now, uh, so, so with regard to starting, cause now the site, if I hadn't mentioned it, uh, the site you were, you were, for which you were writing, uh, before you joined Fangraphs is called, uh, is it Foulpole to Foulpole? Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Uh, and the, and the things you were producing at the community blog, um, uh, totally legally were uh, were cross posts from that site, and you said you started that off, um, you know, on the one hand, um, and I think you know this is a reasonable thing to do, but sort of to um, have something to which you could point, um, you know, as a prospective employee. Um, I'm curious though, in terms of how you like to interact, in terms of how you interact with the game, you know, via the written word. I'm, I, I guess I'm curious. As to you know, to what you see, you know, being able to add. Do you sort of view yourself as, as pretty straightforward in terms of the, you know what you want to add? Do you want to sort of uh, analyze transactions or you know maybe uh, comment to, you know on per, uh, player performance, uh, players who are under or overperforming their peripheral stats? I mean, is this sort of your main interest? Yeah, you hit on a lot of things that uh, are, are interesting to me. I mean, I definitely, especially once the season starts. Uh, I'm, I'm going to want to write about guys that are those are the surprise stories of the season and talk about whether their breakouts can be legitimate or whether we're seeing a guy that is overperforming. Uh, you know, last week, last year, um, I was really interested in Ricky Weeks. I mean, he was he's was the, exactly the type of player that I would have written about um, because he was kind of at a point in his career where it was time to start producing or you're not really sure what the Brewers were going to do with him. And so uh, he was a guy early on that probably the first month through the season, you're kind of wondering, can he keep it up? I, and I, I think I, on that side, I, I wrote about it, um, but that's what I'll be looking for this year. And then I, I like doing the transaction stuff. Uh, a big part of what, what I get or what I enjoy and get out of writing for fan graphs is just uh, – Creating questions for the readers, the commenters. I love if if I can say something that gets them thinking and starts a, a debate in the comment section. Uh, that that's really something that pleases me as a writer. As long as I can start up a discussion, that that's exactly what I'm going for. So are you? So would you say you're not necessary? And, and uh, no judgments here, one way or the other. Uh, you're not necessarily. Uh, particularly concerned with reaching very strong conclusions, you're more interested, perhaps, in uh, facilitating conversation. I think when it comes to player transaction and the overperforming, underperforming, I'm shooting to make a conclusion. But uh, I, I wrote about uh, pitch counts uh, earlier, a few months ago, and that was the type of piece where I was hoping to facilitate conversation and discussion. And it wasn't so much coming to a conclusion, but it was just trying to get people to think about using pitch counts and handling young pitchers in a different way. Now, I'm curious. One of the things I know that uh, some of the guys in the site 
you know talk about if if not struggle with and maybe some of them do is um, you know with something like a, a transaction or you know or a sort of performance related piece um, is to avoid approaching it you know as a template you know what I mean um, mm-hmm. especially with the amount of content that fangraphs is now providing and you know with the sort of uh, you know with the fact that this this sort of commentary um, has become you know a little bit more common uh, you know there's there's always this sort of need you know if for no other reason to, than to make it interesting as as the author uh, to create I guess an you know, some sort of unique perspective on it. Uh, I'm curious, I mean, is this a problem for you? Do you feel like um, having sort of, coming from a journalistic tradition, um, you feel like that maybe that's a strength for you? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I see how falling into a template is definitely easy to do. You know, you can say, oh, this this first paragraph, I'm going to talk about the positives, and then the second paragraph, I'm going to outline, and, you know, you go so on and so on, and then you're using that for every article. Um, but since joining the Fangraphs team, I've kind of picked up, you know, there are so many ways to analyze these transactions when you really start to think about it. I mean, you can, you can get it, you can write an entire article just based on the money or the player's performance in the past or the player's performance going forward for that team. Uh, there's just a lot of angles now and falling into a, a template, I don't want to say it's lazy, but you can look at things so many different ways. It, it It's just so much more valuable to consider everything, and it, it's to your, um, you know, it would behoove you to fall into, fall into, you know, sticking with a template. Right, right, right. Um, now, one thing I know about you, and uh, you can deny it all you want, but it's a fact, sure. is uh, that you worked as... Um, you worked at some level with this scoreboard team uh, at Miller Park. I did, yes. Is that a lie or is that the truth? No, that is absolutely the truth. I worked for the Milwaukee Brewers for two and a half seasons, started out as an intern with them, and uh, moved my way onto their scoreboard crew. So what does that mean? I don't understand. Uh, what do you, do you put the runs and hits and errors up there? Occasionally, I would uh, I would actually do that. So if you notice any errors, that could have been me. Um, a lot of it is pretty much everything you see on the scoreboard is run by, depending on the team, 25 to 30 people per game. So you'll have people playing the players' music when they come up to bat, and then the players' headshots will roll on the scoreboard on the Jumbotron. So you'll see those types of things, and then it's every inning break video you see is also obviously played by somebody, and then someone's uh, directing replays and getting camera shots, and then that you know that's when you see the replays, that, that's from the stadium cameras. So a lot goes into it. Uh, I was fortunate enough to gather experience in all of those facets. Uh, well, let's talk about an important issue of the many you mentioned. Um, but probably the most most important is at bat music, of course. Yeah, um, I mean, players I take it. This is a vital, uh, you know, issue facing our society. Well, it is. You know, you'll have some players. Uh, when I, when I was with the Brewers, you know, some players would submit songs, and 
they they wouldn't tell you if there was something you had to take out of the song. Uh, so then you would have to listen to it and figure out if you could edit around that or just buy a clean version. Um, but yeah, some of the guys take it very seriously and we didn't have anything crazy where guys were changing songs daily there. Yeah. Um, but that's, that was an intense job. I, I only did it once or twice, ran the, the audio and the player's music, but you, you have to be on top of it because if you don't play a player's music, uh, depending on the player, you know, they, they might not be very pleased with you. Did you ever run into any songs that surprised you? Um, uh, for example, I know that I was uh, reading recently, and Cameron Maben, I know, um, was, uh, for example, was walking up to a Miley Cyrus song. And uh, to Oh, that's me, interesting. <laughs> what's that, sorry? Uh, that, that, that's interesting. Yeah, to me, that's, it, it doesn't seem like it would necessarily help one's performance as a batter. Um, and of course, I've heard some awesome examples. I, I mean, I think basically anything by ACDC um, is right. probably going to raise uh, your, you know, your woba um, at least incrementally, you know, if not, if not greatly. Um, but was it, did you ever run into any any bizarre songs that you remember? Um, for when Brian Schaus was with the team, he came out to "Shout," which I believe is by Tears for Fears. Is that? I'm yeah. not entirely sure. Um, that was that's just an unusual song to to pump you up. I don't know that I'm getting excited when that happens. Did he want it because it sounded so much like Shouse? That, I'm assuming that was the case. I'm not entirely sure what went into his uh, his mind when he chose that song. Yeah, I don't know the feeling. I don't know the exact word for the feeling that Tears for Fears elicits. Right. Um, but I don't know if like I don't know if it pumps uh, pumps one up. Right, and then uh, I guess this isn't necessarily unusual, but Todd Coffey was also with the team, and he would come out to the Ultimate Warrior theme song. Right. If you're for all the wrestling fans, and he would he sprints out of the bullpen, which is a delightful thing to watch. I would recommend the re- readers go and and look up video of Todd Coffey sprinting from the bullpen. And then obviously, uh, last year when I was there, the last two years I guess, uh, they had Trevor Hoffman. So hearing Hell's Bells. That's just such a, it gets you so pumped, you know, and, and the, um, what we did was we blanked all of the video boards, so it gave the illusion that, you know, things were pitch black, and then the video would slowly come on, and as Trevor Hoffman was running out there, and the music was building, and, uh, it, it's, it's true, it, it's just like, it gives you tingles sometimes with, with closers. I imagine it's the same way with Mariano Rivera. Um, and I'm trying to think of other famous closer songs. Uh, yeah, well, they certainly, uh, there does seem to be a proclivity for um, kind of uh, mysterious openings in particular, right? Mysterious or, uh, or rousing openings. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah, certainly uh, uh, certainly Hell's Bells uh, d- does that. Um yeah, actually, it, it is sort of. I was thinking about this the other day with regard to to Brian Wilson, you know, who obviously is sort of uh, at this point has created a sort of cult of personality, you know. He's created a monster. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, he literally, um, yeah, the machine, which is a sort of. That's true. I don't. Can we talk about that? I don't know. Can we talk about it? Can we talk about that? Well, what do you want to What do you want to say about it? Oh no, I'm I'm just I'm just asking if. Uh, if we can talk about it without being being jobless tomorrow. 
Oh, yeah, right. Um, no, I, I think we, I mean, we can mention it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> right. this is not a, we don't have an explicit tag. Uh, but I... He's an interesting character. Right, but it's also sort of, uh, and, he, and he had the interview recently on George Lopez or Lopez Tonight or whatever it's called. And, uh, yes. and there was, you know, this sort of rehashing, you know, what, what we probably already know about the sort of cult of the closer. Right, and uh, you know the sort of proven closer label, um, and I was thinking about the the sort of gap between, um, like how how important a closer is to winning games, um, and how how much enjoyment one can take from a closer, and I I think that it's as long as one knows the difference, then it's totally fine. Like there's a lot there's a lot of joy to be taken from Brian Wilson's shtick or. I mean, obviously, Mariano Rivera is quite good, but um, the, the sort of mythology that surrounds him, and the same thing—you know—the same thing with any closer, really. Um, there's something pleasant about it, even if it doesn't necessarily add many wins to your team. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I'm going to be interested to see what happens in Atlanta and with the Rays this year. They've both teams have kind of mentioned taking a closer by committee approach, and. I wonder if that'll take anything away from the fans or if and when one guy starts to emerge, they'll just embrace them in the same way that they would embrace a Brian Wilson or a Mariano Rivera or Trevor Hoffman. Well, I don't know the answer to that. Well, well, that's something to wait and see because we haven't had many closer by committee situations. Right. Yeah. um, Right. I think think the sort of most famous... um, version of it was some um, maybe like the 03 Red Sox or the 02 Red Sox, one of those iterations. And I think the only reason they had a closer by committee is because they didn't really have many good closers. Right. Or, you know, good relief pitchers, I should say. Whereas, for example, I think some combination of you know, uh, Craig Kimbrell and Johnny Venters is uh, I mean, I think both of those, you know, either one of those guys is probably better than the best Relief pitcher the Red Sox had during those years. Yeah, I think we've we've seen situations where the team's closer isn't necessarily the best pitcher on the team, but it, it's not explained as, um, you know, using your your best pitcher in the the most difficult situation. Like I'm I'm thinking of the White Sox last season. Uh, Matt Thornton it was the Best pit, the best relief pitcher on the team. Uh, yet Bobby Jenks was the closer most of the season. Um, but Ozzie Gian was able to employ Thornton. You know, if it was the seventh inning and there were men on second and third and he needed to get two outs, Thornton was the guy he called on. And that clearly, I think that's what we've learned should be the proper way to use, utilize a bullpen. Um, but, but the managers don't talk about it that way. So, I think that's why you get a lot of articles each season about proven closers and why a bullpen by committee wouldn't work and how important relief pitching roles are. Well, you've 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 breached a topic that I think, and I think we should let people know is that uh, you are you're from Chicago and you grew up on the yes. south side of same, and uh, you're a white, you're a White Sox fan. That is correct. So I assume that you know, if not all necessarily, but a great deal of your experience of the game. Um, sort of comes through through the White Sox. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, what, one peculiar thing you just mentioned there, though, is is the sort of secret 
closer when it, in fact a manager is able to deploy um, or sort of the secret relief phase because even though Bobby Jenks was the closer um, and uh, without looking I, I, I'm not going to say anything definite but my guess is that um, because Matt Thornton was being deployed um, you know maybe my guess is that, that Matt Thornton was probably deployed in a number of high leverage situations um, you know maybe even then you know certainly more high leverage than uh, up three runs and uh, you know ninth inning so yeah, this absolutely. is actually kind of uh, um, y- you know it's actually kind of an interesting device that um, managers can use to their advantage even if they don't know they're doing it I guess but when you have like a real ace uh, relief pitcher who doesn't necessarily have the closer label attached to him yet uh, it actually seems like an advantage and I- I'm thinking of like another case with for example uh, the Red Sox and Daniel Bard versus Jonathan Papelbon. Uh, right, and I and I hate to stay in Chicago, but a few years ago you had Carlos Marmol setting up for Kevin Gregg. Right, another situation where where you have a where you have that case. I wonder if there's a way. Uh, uh, you, you know, obviously, pretty quickly it, it can become the case, especially if um, the pitcher is right-handed, where that guy becomes the closer candidate, right? But um, right. if you have like a really good left left-handed pitcher. Uh, no one expects you to make him the closer anyway. This could be uh, this is the next big inefficiency, Chris Chris Wick. The left-handed reliever market is going to go crazy next offseason. Is that your prediction? Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, well, if Andrew Friedman's listening to this, almost definitely. <laughs> exactly. We'll see what Billy Bean does because he's stocking up on the relief pitchers. But I got to check how many were lefties. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, not very many. Um, <laughs> Hey, well, uh, listen, sir. It's been it's been good to to get to know you. Uh, I mean, like on a personal level, but then uh, additionally, uh, I'm sure that the uh, the the listener slash readership is uh, is uh, singing your praises and, and uh, just filled with thanks uh, now as well. I hope so. That's what I was going for here. Yeah, I mean, I may not have been telling the truth, but we'll just pretend. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Hey, well, like I said, uh, I really do appreciate it, Chris, and uh, uh, thank, you, thank you for joining us. Um, I have once again been, and hopefully will continue to be, Carson Sestouli, and uh, this has been uh, a sprawling but in, uh, in its own way charming edition of Fangraphs Audio. ¶¶